Pond of mud and debris. You're listening to the news on RTHK. Good morning, three minutes after eight o'clock. Welcome to Money for Nothing. I'm Brian Curtis. Facebook shells out $2 billion on a kind of virtual reality. Morgan Stanley rejects its own Minsky moment thesis and makes a buy call on China. And Asian stocks follow markets higher, uh, Wall Street in particular. The Nikkei up 106 points at 14,530. That's a gain of seven-tenths of a percent. In fact, we see gains of seven-tenths of a percent in the other markets as well. Kind of unusual. They're all up 0.74%. In Australia, the ASX 200 up 39 points at 53.90. In Seoul, the Kospi is up 14 points at 1955. We'll look at currencies for a moment. The dollar is trading at 102.33 yen. That's the dollar a little stronger against the yen. The euro is worth 1.382 US dollars. The fix on the yen, right around 614. Uh, the Aussie dollar, 91.63 US. Here's a little tease of what's to come. We don't see any fundamental change here, but obviously the economy is an overhang for this uh, market as well. We need to see economic improvement for this rally to continue. That is Tim Grisky from Solaris Asset Management. We'll hear from him. In our featured segments, we'll take a look at the contrarian call for buying China stocks. James Gruber, the author of the investment newsletter Asia Confidential, will make that case. Julian Evans Pritchard from Capital Economics will be along to help us dissect the latest mainland economic data. And we'll have Graham Bibby from Richmond Asset Management on the latest trends in the markets. And we'll hear from Super Mario at the ECB. Monetary policy should become increasingly effective. In fact, we are already seeing evidence of this process. Deposit rates in the euro area have been converging towards our policy rate. And banks that are more advanced in their balance sheet adjustment have been more able to reflect our policy impulse in their lending volumes and rates. That's the ECB president, Mario Draghi, kind of saying, we're really doing an excellent job. Funny that guys from Goldman would say that. Um, anyway, so we'll, we'll hear more from him a bit later, and we'll get to the news flow now. Facebook saying it will buy virtual reality company Oculus VR for about $2 billion U.S. dollars. It is Facebook's first push into mobile hardware. The deal includes $400 million in cash and 23.1 million Facebook shares. It's another deal that's uh, using its uh, shares for currency. It also includes another $300 million if the acquisition achieves certain targets. Oculus makes a device like ski goggles that you wear to play games and uh, that you can wear to access other virtual reality experiences. On Wall Street, stocks up for the first time in three days. Economic data showed consumer confidence had moved up to a six-year high. IBM, Cisco, and Johnson & Johnson rallied more than 2%. The S&P 500 was up 0.4% at 1865. The Dow Jones Industrial Average up 91 points at 16,367. The VIX, the Volatility Index, or the Fear Gauge, dropped 7% to 14.02. However, Tim Grisky thinks the market may drift lower. 
Now, the market is looking for an excuse to uh, take some profits here, uh, looking for the chance uh, of, of a correction to set prices lower and to really uh, stabilize this rally. Earnings are approaching, and he thinks that that might be a catalyst to the downside. We're in one of those periods without a lot of fundamental news. Now, uh, we, we begin to go into, uh, you know, a period where um, there could be some pre-announcement of earnings, especially due to weather. Uh, that could be a negative catalyst for the market. Uh, and we're also going uh, into um, a period where a lot of companies are talking to investors and uh, uh, various presentations. And that could be also a negative catalyst. And negative because the weather really has, we think, impacted um, uh, Q1 earnings here. The yield on the 10-year Treasury added two basis points to 2.75%. In Europe, markets were sharply higher. The DAX was up 149 points at 93.38. That was a gain of 1.6%. The FTSE 100 in London up 1.3%. The CAC in Paris up 1.5%. ECB President Mario Draghi says yields are coming down in the periphery, and that amounts to stimulus. If bank lending rates in your area periphery ultimately converge with those in the core, this would effectively represent a significant additional monetary easing. As such, I expect monetary policy to regain influence over the economic cycle and our accommodative stance to support the gradual closing of the output gap in the coming years. This is reflected in the current ECB staff projections which foresee inflation rising to 1% in 2014, 1.3% in 2015, and one5 in 2016. Let's say good morning now to Graham Bibby, Chief Executive at Richmond Asset Management. Graham, good morning. Good morning. So where's the momentum now? Well, it's been a bit of a tricky year, actually, um, especially the U.S., which is leading everywhere. But the highlights seem to be still... Uh, in Asia, in Thailand, Philippines, and Indonesia. Um, you might recall last time I was on your program, I, th- I sort of thought Asia bottomed, and those three markets were leading the way. So they still seem to be there. Uh, on the S&P, um, you know, we had a couple of very strong down days, and last night was up. So the S&P 500 is holding above its 30-week moving average, uh, but the NASDAQ is below the important support level of 4250. So a bit of a mixture. We have quite a bit of cash at the moment because, as you know, we follow those trends. And for anyone listening, (laughs) I was interesting to look this morning at Hong Kong market because I was coming on your program and saw that it is currently where it was in January 2013. Uh, In fact, is is where it was in 2011. And it's only 20% above where it was in 1997, which is why... I uh, tend to follow those trends instead of buy and hold. Yeah, it's uh, been a terrible run, really, here. And uh, we're going to talk later in the program with some other analysts about a um, the credit overhang in China and how that may be weighing us down as well. Um, lots of interesting calls on China. Some people think that, you know, that all the trouble stored up in too much credit is already reflected in the stock prices. But uh, let me have that discussion with them. Michael, let's talk a little bit more about Hong Kong, you and I. Um, I was thinking about you the other day when uh, just here in the past little period, we've seen 
quite a lot of torrid selling in the stocks that were really working uh, before. So if you were a momentum guy and you went into the Macau gaming stocks and the internet stocks and some of these others, you kind of had your, uh, your head handed to you on a platter in the past couple of days. Is that something that um, you know, causes a lot of distress to your models? Can you even hear me? I think I've lost Graham. He's in our oh, studio. Sorry, no, 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 I'm here. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, going back to momentum, um, you know, I started this thing called the Insiders Club, which really specializes more and focuses on the U.S. companies with high earnings growth and low P.E. ratio. Hang on a second. Can you hear me okay? I mean, I, I, I basically asked yes. you a question, um, which was uh, some of these momentum plays yes. here in Hong Kong, yes. whether that has, has caused you any distress. Uh, well, not Hong Kong because we're not focused there. But what, what I was going to say was the high momentum stocks in the U.S. have done exactly the same thing. Yeah. Those are the ones that have been hit the most, um, especially in the biotech sector. So yep. it seems to be globally people are taking profits off the table of those leading stocks. So, so that was leading me into this question. Is that something that is sustained in your view or does it almost set up as a good chance to maybe get back in there? Well, you know, <clears throat> since I, in the last two years, since I've run this um, model, if you like, I'm focusing on companies with very strong earnings growth, two to three times the, the market and discounted PE ratios. So the fundamentals are still there. Um, but again, we just need to follow those trends. So it does look to me that somewhere down the line, then we can re-enter those stocks um, you know, at much cheaper levels. And, and I do have quite an extensive list of these stocks, no, perhaps the most I've had in the last decade. So there's a lot of stocks still there with strong earnings growth and low PE ratios. I always get emails. Uh, people like to hear the individual names if um, people can mention them. Uh, do you care to mention some of those um, U.S. companies that you like? Well, a little bit surprising for most people. Uh, since the beginning of this year, we, we've um, taken positions in airline stocks like American Airlines, uh, Delta Airlines, Spirit Airlines. And, and what we look at is the team of different company analysts that look at them, say so there could be 20 companies from J.P. Morgan and Goldman Sachs doing research on these companies. And, for example, uh, I believe American Airlines forward earnings growth is in the region of 35 to 40% per annum, but its, its P.E. ratio is, is around 8, uh, whereas the market itself has a forward earnings growth uh, average of 10% per annum, but the P.E. ratio is 15.5. So, um, <laughs> you know, that's a, that's a, you're paying a premium for that growth where we're buying stocks with a discount. Um, before that, you know, we were in a lot of pharmaceuticals, Jazz Pharmaceutical being one of the leading ones, and I mentioned it in your program last year. You did. Um, and, it, and it went up about 60 70%. I think it's around 143 now. Wow. It's 90, it was 90 in November, but it did reach 170. Um, so obviously we're out of that stock because it's in a correction mode. And the whole biotech sector looks quite good. Um, United Rental is another company that's uh, got the largest, perhaps, uh, leasing and rental company in the U.S. Again, very strong earnings growth, low P.E. ratios. Uh, you know, before I, I on your, your, your program, I mentioned Facebook. Uh, I like Facebook. The trend reversed at 25, um, but, but the recent correction has, has made us sell Facebook. Uh, I still like the long-term prospects, but right now uh, that trend is down. And, you know, I tell my clients I just have to follow those trends because in the global financial crisis and the 2000 tech wreck, it all started off looking quite innocent and, and when, ended up being something more. So we, when, when they turn around and they start going down, uh, mm. you know, some people just see that as a little correction. They can ride it out. Uh, 
others uh, like you would get out, what sort of percentage or number of days down before you say, okay, that's enough? Well, it's interesting because what, what normally happens, the more, the more the stock runs up, uh, the more profit-taking you would see. So we normally put a stop loss around the last correction bottom. Um, but if someone finds that a little bit difficult, I, I would say that a 8% trailing stop loss would work quite well to smooth out any correction points. But these stocks, you know, when the market is uh, is normal, inverted commas, uh, they do seriously perform to the upside. So occasionally they correct more. Um, but we, we, you know, we ha- I have to look at market action. So I normally spread the portfolio not holding more than 5 to 10% in any one stock, no matter how great I think it is. Yeah. Let's take a little, um, let's do a little trade school here. I, mm. I don't know whether you're in 10 cent. A lot of people own that here. It's been a high flyer and, uh, you know, it's, it's one of these, um, companies that are widely held. It's one of the biggest companies, uh, listed in Hong Kong. So it got up to 646. Now it's at 558. That's, I guess, about a 16 or 17% drop. Mm. You'd be out by now, would you? Well, I'd have to look at the chart because let, let's say something ran from, let's make it simple, from 100 to 120 very, very quickly. Every day it was just rising. It, it could quite easily fall to 110, 108 uh, without reversing that trend. So it's all to do with where the profit taking sets in and then moves up again and that's where we raise the stop loss but if it's an eight percent well then we then we'd be out okay how much do you really concern yourself with fundamentals like looking at um, the housing market in the states or or what's happening with the automobile market Uh, do you look at the fundamentals much or do you stick with the uh, charts well historically i've just been the chart person so i run on charts and run on momentum and I was more focusing on ETFs to access the market. So you can obviously trade the globe using ETFs. But the Insiders Club starts off from the premise uh, that we're going to look at undervalued companies. So, again, the S&P 500 growing 10% per annum. If we can find companies growing 15 to 20 to 30 to 40% per annum where the PE ratio is at a discount, not a premium, then that means the fundamentals are excellent for the company. And I have currently around 200 of those stocks in my watch list, but I only buy when the trend turns positive and I exit when it turns negative. Okay. Um, briefly, uh, gold, I don't know if you watched that, yes. but it's had kind of an interesting year. started out about mm. uh, 1180, <laughs> raced up to almost 1400. Today it sits at 1310. Since Janet Yellen spoke a week ago about interest rates uh, maybe going up six months after the end of the taper, gold's had a pretty tough time. Where are you on gold? Well, again, I can think on your program, uh, beginning of the year, I said gold and silver had reversed that downtrend over the previous 12 months. Um, a lot of people own GLD, the ETF, and that's broken below support at 128. And the SLV, the silver, has broken below 2050. So um, at the moment, I would, be, I would be exiting both of those, but we have had a strong move up. So I'll be watching it quite closely because I have this sneaky contrarian view about gold and silver that, you know, the tapering's in. Uh, which should be negative for gold and silver. But when they were printing money like crazy, gold and silver was correcting. So wouldn't be in it now. The the CRB index is quite interesting because that broke up through a three-year downtrend. Yeah, that's the commodities index. So go ahead. Yeah, the Commodity Bureau index. So that seems to support to me the growth global factor at the moment. 
Um, you know, we talk about before rare earths and uranium stocks. Well, some of the uraniums had a nice run up, but they're in a correction mode as well. So, so, so the only things not in a correction mode are Thailand, Philippines and Indonesia. So in a sense, Graham, I guess you could say that you're always bullish because there must always be some companies that are outperforming. Uh, you could say always bullish, but I've got quite a bit of cash right now because I'm trying to focus. I'm trying to tell my clients, look, let's stick with undervalued superior growth companies, uh, which in theory should outperform the market. And let's use the stop losses for protection because the long-term key to making money in the market is not how much you make when you're right and the market's going with you. So, so you should be in Hong Kong and China because you've got a lot of companies with really low single-digit PEs. Yeah, well, the, the situation is right now I have over 200 companies in the U.S. growing anything from 20 to 40% per annum with P ratios at a 50 to 60% discount to that growth. Uh, so I have more things than I can buy. Um, so at the moment, I don't need to look further than that. In my fund optimization service, which is where we would be focusing on ETFs and markets, then the areas that we would be in, again, relate to, to uh, Asia. Uh, even India looks quite good. I think Asia has gone through that bottoming out phase. Yeah, okay. Um, and long term, it would be quite good. All right, Graham, thank you very much for joining us here on Money for Nothing. You're happy to listen to the rest of the program. You might learn something. If you've got another appointment, then you're also free to go. <laughs> thank you. Graham Bibby, Chief Executive of Richmond Asset Management. Money for Nothing, 20 minutes after 8 o'clock. <laughs> Morgan Stanley has reaffirmed its buy recommendation on Chinese stocks. It says it does not think that there will be a significant market disruption in the mainland economy. What's interesting about this is the bank, some other analysts at the bank, put out a report recently saying that a Minsky moment was approaching. That's when the weight of debt overwhelms an economy and seriously drags down growth and slams assets. In this latest report, though, the bank's analysts wrote, the apparent deterioration in productivity and diminishing returns to leverage are not as severe as the consensus thinks. One needs to take into account true activity in the consumer and service sectors of the economy. Well, we're joined now by James Gruber, author of investment newsletter Asia Confidential. James, good morning. Good morning. It would seem that you have a similar uh, thesis in a sense that maybe the economy is slightly heading for trouble, but the stocks are pretty cheap. I haven't read the latest Morgan Stanley report. I read the Minsky moment one, and they do seem to be somewhat at loggerheads. So uh, I'm not entirely sure what's going on there. But I do agree that uh, my general view is that the Chinese economy will soften further, but it won't likely be an immediate crash because the Chinese government has a lot of levers and it basically controls a lot of what happens, particularly with regards to the banks. Uh, in terms of the unravelling of the, the credit boom, it's likely to be a more gradual process over over several years um, than a, than a crash that many people are looking for and defining as either a Minsky moment or a Bear Stearns or Lehman's moment. Uh, there's lots of lots of uh, uh, analogies and, and and names being put to it. But they've just uh, been really a, the the China the China stocks have been such bad performers though the MSCI China index of stocks already down eight point six percent this year that is likely to be the worst first quarter since two thousand and eight that should be telling you something. Well, it is, and and really, uh, I've made the point previously, and and I've been bearish on the Chinese economy as well as stocks for for uh, a couple of years now. 
and I've only just turned positive on stocks. And, and while I'm not positive on the economy, I'm, I'm reasonably positive on stocks. And part of the, part of the reason is, is that it is down 65% from its 2007 peaks. There aren't many markets like that uh, around at the moment. And really, for the past couple of years, uh, the Chinese stock market has been telling you that the economy's been in trouble. Everybody's been uh, fixated on GDP numbers, been fixate, fixated on uh, FDI numbers. They should have just been looking at the stock market because it's been telling the whole story all along that the economy has been in trouble, and so, they haven't been doing that. So in your selection process, would you just pick index funds or would you isolate uh, certain companies? That's a good question. Um, I would be somewhat reluctant to go right into uh, banking stocks in China at the moment, which are the biggest weights by far within the indices and part of the reason why the uh, indices are cheap. Now, these banks are on less than five times PE, most of them. Uh, They are uh, uh, close to book value, well, you know, under book value, the larger ones and and uh, substantially under book value for uh, the more uh, marginal and, and regional ones. Now, that would seem cheap, and they're f- implying around 7 to 8% MPLs, but uh, I would be reluctant to go into those kind of banks because uh, those, what they've got on their books and what MPLs are likely to be is very tough to gauge from an outsider's point of view. In fact, it's almost impossible. So, so the, the, the critics would say that, you know, if you get a pop in the property bubble, then you'll get a banking crisis. They generally go hand in hand. Uh, but sure. I, I suppose you would agree with the Morgan Stanley report, which I can just read you. It says that, you know, the government's reforms and its formidable financial resources will help policymakers transform the economy. So I guess people think with that kind of muscle, you don't worry so much about a banking crisis. My opinion would be that you do. Um, I, 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 I think that you do worry about a property crisis as well as a banking crisis. Absolutely. Well, then and why would you? Why would you be buying banks then? Oh, I don't think you would be at this stage. That's you, part of that's, that's in essence what I was saying is that I think your focus would be outside of banks oh, at I the see. moment. I think, there, I think there might be a time where you may be able to buy banks, but I would rather buy them at half times book and when they're factoring in MPLs of of uh, of say twelve percent. Um, rather than seven to eight. I don't think they, they potentially quite bottomed. I think property stocks are very risky in China. I would be looking outside of that. I would be looking at, uh, for instance, internet stocks within China, I think, um, have got a lot of uh, structural uh, tailwinds. They are probably looking slightly poppy, but I think you need to be selective in what you choose. Okay. Um, All right, James. Thank you. Thank you very much for joining us here on Money for Nothing on Radio 3. James Gruber, author of investment newsletter Asia Confidential, on the line from Sydney. If you were wondering why that, uh, why the sound quality wasn't so great. Now we say good morning to Julian Evans Pritchard, Asia economist at Capital Economics, on the line from Singapore. Julian, good morning. Good morning. Yes, yeah, so the China Manufacturing Survey, again, disappointing uh, HSBC and market with this uh, earlier in the week, 48.1 from 48.5. It just seems that these things just keep ticking lower and lower. Should we be worried? Um, well, I think at this point we shouldn't be worried. It, it wasn't entirely unexpected. Um, given the, the slowdown in credit and investment growth since the middle of last year, so uh, our view is that things could actually uh, get even worse before they get better. Um, but at this stage, we don't think that 
that growth in the first quarter, even though it will come in lower than than the last quarter last year, we don't think that it will fall below the government's target of about 7.5%. We're, we're forecasting 7.5% for the first quarter. So I think a key question, Julian, then, is the economy going slower because the government wants it to, or is it going slower because of these problems with too much credit? Yeah, exactly. We, we think that the, the economy is slowing because the government has engineered a slowdown in credit growth. I mean, ultimately, um, the central bank controls uh, the interbank rates. Um, it's been tightening them since the credit crunch in June, uh, and that's inevitably slowed down credit growth, which has a knock-on effect on the manufacturing sector, but with a, a certain lag of a couple of months. So that's why we're seeing the slowdown now. Um, and uh, I, I think that the most interesting debate at the moment is how the government will will which side it will fall on. It, it seems to have two conflicting goals at the moment. One is its growth target of about 7.5%. The other is its aim to deleverage credit. So it's, it's a very very much a balancing balancing act between those two two goals. Yes, we saw the markets get all excited Friday and Monday because they thought that more stimulus was coming because the because the growth had slowed so dramatically. Yeah, we we don't think we think that it's a slightly premature to expect stimulus at this point, um, but we're definitely not ruling it out later in the year. Um, it's interesting that over the past week, you've seen that the interbank rates have rebounded back to sort of towards four percent. So obviously, given if the central bank is still um, removing liquidity from the system, that would suggest that they're not, you know, moving towards stimulus at this stage. Yeah, I guess the jobs component inside the manufacturing report wasn't so bad. And exactly, so the, yeah. some, some analysts said, well, that means that you probably won't see stimulus coming. Um, what about the reform? Do you expect that to slow down or to keep uh, moving pretty quickly as it has, seems like it has been since the NPC? Well, all, all the signs on, on reform are positive at this stage. Um, there's a lot of uh, disappointment shortly after the Shanghai Free Trade Zone was announced that, that not much was happening on that front. But in recent months, we've seen a lot more progress in that area. And um, especially with uh, financial reform, that's the area where we're seeing the fastest sort of steps forward with, with uh, the central bank saying that they'll plan to liberalize interest rates within two years. So that's, that's quite an aggressive timetable. So I think the, the signs for reform are positive. So we get a lot of talking heads on this program, uh, strategists, economists, uh, you know, analysts, um, and not so many uh, real business people. You know, they're sometimes a bit shy to go on the radio. We do have those segments. If you were running a small and medium-sized company or if you're the CEO of a company, would you feel comfortable uh, based in Hong Kong and expanding in China now? Um, I guess now it, it, it might be um, might not be the best time to be thinking about expanding in China because obviously the slowdown is going to affect your business prospects. Um, but in the long run, I think that the the growth prospects for China are good. A, a slowdown in, in GDP growth doesn't necessarily mean that that economic prospects in the long run are, are going to take a hit. Okay, and uh, especially in areas where there's going to be more growth, such as healthcare, technology. We, we think there's a lot of potential, and especially if they relax the rules on, on in, inwards investment, 
Um, so they're planning in, in the Shanghai Free Trade Zone. They're, they're already planning to cut down the negative list by 40% potentially okay. this year. So that's a that's a very positive sign that they're willing to allow more foreign investment. Okay, Julian, thank you. We've got to go. The time is up. Julian Evans Pritchard, Asia Economist, Capital Economics, Bank of China with earnings today, Melco Crown and China Eastern, and lots of interesting other items on the agenda. Markets are buoyant. The Nikkei up eight-tenths of a percent. So, too, for the other markets that are open at the moment. Let's take a look at the weather today. Before we wrap up the program, we're expecting uh, cloudy at first, becoming fine, coastal fog in the morning and at night. And also, for the next couple of days, looks like uh, sunny periods and quite warm temperatures. 20 to 26 degrees straight through the rest of this week. Money for nothing at 830. 831, the news with Samantha Butler. The search for the Malaysian airliner that disappeared 18 days ago has resumed in the southern Indian Ocean. Twelve aircraft from Australia, the United States, China, Japan and South Korea will scour the seas some 2,500 kilometres southwest of Perth. An Australian Navy ship is returning to the area after being driven away by gale-force winds and massive waves yesterday. China's icebreaker Sulong and other Chinese Navy vessels are also heading towards the search zone. Adam Conroy is a senior forecaster with the Australian Bureau Bureau of Meteorology. He says today's conditions should favour the search. Uh, weather conditions are set to improve through the search area in the southern Indian Ocean. Should see winds and seas ease and uh, really just isolated showers through the